Amen. Well, you can be seated. Welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. Again, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're just walking in or if you're new with us, we've been going through the book of Philippians, talking about what it means to have joy. And here's what we said last week. Last week we said this, the beauty of the Christian life is that when you can't stand because the suffering is too great, the people stand with you and for you. That when you can't stand because suffering is too great in your life, the people stand with you, the people stand for you. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That's the beauty of the local church. That's what we're after as Phoenix Bible Church. Listen, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you're new to this whole thing, if you're new to church, everybody wants that. Everybody would say, that would be nice. I would love to have people stand with me and for me. So the question is, how do we have those kinds of relationships? How do we have that kind of community? That's what we're going to look at today. So I'd invite you to to grab a Bible. We want you to look at your Bible. Uh, If you don't have one, there should be one right in front of you, on the floor in front of you. Grab that, head to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. And as you get there, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I thank you that they are here for an appointed time. You may not realize that, but they are here for an appointed time where we can look at your very words in Scripture, where you can illuminate them by the power of your Holy Spirit to our minds, to our hearts, to our lives, that you do flip everything on its side and that you would show us what that looks like, what it looks like to to go against the cultural norms, to go against the norms of our flesh, even now, as we're maybe thinking about other things, as we're doubting ourselves as we're thinking about the shame and guilt that we carry, even now, you would flip that on its side by the blood of your cross, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to fix our eyes on you just for these few moments, just gathered together as a family focused on Jesus. And you would change us. You would transform us. That's what we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. Well, without knowing every person in the room, uh, one thing I can guarantee you we all have in common is conflict. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. (laughs) Conflict, right? We all have conflict. I don't have to know you to know. We all have that in in common, and you can really find conflict anywhere that you go. Like a couple weeks ago, I was with my family at the Hole in the Rock in Tempe, a little mountain you can hike, and you can see the whole city, and so there with my family, and we go up to the hole, and it's beautiful. You can see the whole city. It's great. And we're standing there, and we're taking pictures, and the kids are playing around, trying to make sure they don't fall off the rock. And there's this guy with a backpack on and some sunglasses, and he's just staring at me and my family, like, for 10 minutes straight. He's in the hole, so everybody's trying to take pictures around him. It's a little bit awkward. Um, He's just staring at us, and so after about 10 minutes, I can't help myself. And so I look to him and say, are you doing okay? And he's like, well, I was until you just spent the last 10 minutes staring at me. And I said, well, I felt like you were staring at me. And all of a sudden, we were in fifth grade again. And I said, no, man, I'm just... uh, 
it seems like we might have done something to offend you, but I just want to let you know, like, I'm just here with my family. Like, we're just here to have a good time, enjoy the view, take some pictures. Like, we, if we've done anything against you, like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what, what, what happened. And he says, he says, everybody's always here with their families. Everybody's always here with their families, and I'm always up here causing trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay, are you causing trouble? Do you normally? I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what's happening. Um, and at this point, Jay is just like, let's go. <laughs> like, this is not worth it. And I'm just like, yes, you're right. And we found conflict at the hole in the rock. The hole in the rock should bring people together, not divide them, right? It's a beautiful place. You can find conflict anywhere you go. And some of you, as you think about your lives, you have conflict with your spouse, maybe right now. It was awkward coming to church this morning. You have conflict with your spouse, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. Some of you have conflict in this room. Some of you may have conflict with me. If so, we can talk afterwards. We all have conflict. You can find it anywhere you want. I think we know that. A lot of us don't know where that conflict is rooted. A lot of us just experience that conflict, and we don't ever ask, why? Where is it rooted? And we may can think of some things. We may think of, like, well, it was when I spoke harshly to my wife. We may think of, well, it was when I lost my temper with my kids. I got angry with them, and I said some things that I shouldn't have said. We may think of some ways at work where and we just had a bad Monday, and we just lashed out at some people. We may think of some ways that other people in our lives have disrespected us. We think of all those things, and all of those things are probably valid. They're probably valid, but what Scripture tells us is that those things are external, and that there's one primary thing that's internal that causes all conflict. And that's this, it's pride. And you see that throughout Scripture. You see it at the very beginning. Adam and Eve... They eat from the forbidden tree because they think they know better than God. It's pride. They want to be like God. Pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Obadiah 1.3. I told you there's some good stuff in Obadiah. You need to read it. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Luke eleven forty three. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. What's he talking about? Pride. The desire to be seen. The desire to be made much of. The preoccupation of self. It's pride. You see it throughout Scripture that all of our conflict, almost all of our conflict, is rooted in our own pride. In the pride of of others. We see that in life, we see that in scripture, and this should hit home for all of us, right? As you go through your life, as you go through conflict, this pride, this poison of pride robs you of your joy. Like it robs you of your joy, and we all see that, and it should hit home. See, it's easy to look at Hollywood, right? And we think about Hollywood, and we think of their divorce rate, and we think, man, those people really struggle with pride. It's easy to look at politicians and think about their hunger for power and be disgusted with their pride. It's easy to think about other drivers in Phoenix, how they cut you off 
and be disgusted with their pride. It's easy to think about as they hit your car and they get out and yell at you. Hypothetical, completely. Uh, It's easy to think about their pride and be disgusted with their pride. But what about us? What about our pride in this room? What about us? You see, pride is a poison that affects us all. And if you don't think it affects you, then you're being prideful. Pride is a poison that affects us all, no matter who you are. And Paul knows that. God speaking through Paul knows that. And so he's going to hammer on pride and show us another way. And that's what we're going to look at. So look at your Bibles. Philippians 2, we'll start in verse 1. It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so you can keep your eyes on the text with me. You see four any's, right? You have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection. And Paul is saying if, but it's really an obvious if, right? Like, is anybody encouraged in Christ by being accepted, forgiven, adopted by Christ? Are you encouraged by that? Yes, of course. Is there anybody comforted by God through suffering, through the trials in life, by his love for you? Yeah, of course. Then what? Verse 2, complete my joy. How do we do that? Have the same mind, the same love, full accord. Paul is painting this picture of unity that people think similarly because of Jesus. That people think similarly because of Jesus. We have one mind. That people share in the love of Jesus. We have the same love. That people live in a way that's in lockstep with one another. That we have full accord. It's a unity that's rooted in Christ. And here's what we discover, is that the key to this unity is humility. We discover that the key to unity is humility. Verse 3, in humility. And then we get a description. Look at the text. Description of humility. You see these parallels in verses 3 and 4. Look at the text. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry and conceit. How do we do that? Verse 4, when we only look at our own interests. Do you see that? Verse 3, count others more significant. How do we do that? How do we do the positive? We look at their interests. Paul gives us this description of humility. And so how do we have joy beyond conflict? How do we not get robbed of our joy because of pride? We exchange our pride for humility. We experience a unity that comes with humility. That's the key. It looks like this. It's looking at other people's interests. It's counting others more significant than ourselves. So why? That's an important question. Why? My son, he's two and a half. He's beginning to ask why about everything. And so uh, the other day we went hiking. We actually, we don't go hiking all the time. These are my two illustrations for today. Um, 
But we went hiking to South Mountain, and we got there, and we're reading the sign, and it says South Mountain, and um, Ashton's like, where are we? And we're like, we're at South Mountain. And he says, South Mountain, why? And I said, well, we're here to go hiking. And he said, hiking, why? I said, well, because we want to get some exercise and have fun. He said, fun, why? And that honestly could have gone on for a couple of hours. Uh, we chose to just go on the hike. And why is an important question, right? A lot of us, we come in here, we leave here, we go to our job, we leave our job. We think of, if you're a Christian, we think of doing things like being humble, but we never ask why. We just think, well, I'm supposed to. With humility, a lot of us think, well, it's just polite, right? But that's, that's not really why we're to live humble lives. The reason we live humble lives is because we're a family, right? We're not just building an organization. We're not just a 501c3. We're a family that has shared in the encouragement in Christ that we see in this text, that has the same love, that we think similarly, not about everything in life, but about who Jesus is, about what the scriptures say about him, about what he's done for us, that we are a family united in Christ, and therefore, we count others more significant than ourselves. Therefore, we look at the interest of others. That's the why of humility. The how is look at other people's interests. Count them more significant. Don't just look at yourself. Look outside yourself. That's the how. The why of that is because we're a family united in Christ. Do you see that? You see that in this text. You see that in Scripture. You see that in your life. That's what we're doing as Phoenix Bible Church. We're a family united in Christ. We're a new church, and we started under some unique circumstances, and we had a, a very quick timeline to find a home. Like literally, we needed a place to meet. It was uh, late September or early September, and we needed a place to meet October 5th. And so we were scrambling, looking for a place to meet, and, and looking for really a home. And um, usually, you can't find a home in four weeks. It doesn't happen. Uh, so we kind of found a hotel, uh, Grace Lutheran Church, down the street, a temporary place where we can meet by God's grace. They allowed us to do that. We had to do that in the evening at 5.30 p.m. Some of you were a part of that. It was a great time. But basically, we kind of found a hotel. Like We knew that wasn't where we were going to plant roots. It wasn't our home. And then as we met there and, and had that temporary spot, we began to continue to look for a home. Like We knew we couldn't buy a building and maybe have a forever home, but where could we find a place where we could camp out for a while? We could plant roots in this community, in the city, to make an impact for Christ. And so we began to look for that and, and search for that and cold call places and, and drive by places and plead with places for a home. By God's grace, we, we found that home. We found a place that feels kind of homey, right? It's a school. There's kids here. There's teachers here during the week. It feels a little bit homey. We, we found a place for our kids that's conducive for families and drop-off and check-in and safety. We found a home. We found this place in here where we have to think about, do we put up pipe and drape to cover all the vacant seats or not? <laughs> like, we have enough room to grow. Like, there's 600 seats in here. How amazing would it be if we began to fill these seats? And we don't have to go anywhere to do that. 
we can do it here because we have a home. I was just talking this morning with, with Stephen Frankie about this neighborhood that's right in our backyard. And, and he was saying, do you guys want those people to come to your church? And I said, absolutely. Like, we have a home with a backyard that has people that don't know the love of Jesus, that don't know the strength of Jesus, that don't know the power of Jesus in their lives. Tangibly, relationally, spiritually. We have a home where we can influence those people, the people between 7th Street and 7th Avenue, the people in the Coronado neighborhood, the people to the west, the people to the east, the people to the north, the people to the, the south. We have a home. And I don't know if you felt this, but we worked so hard to get this home that sometimes I wonder, like, what now? <laughs> like, we were working so hard, like, we got to get in this space, and here's what we're going to do to navigate all that working out the budget, everything, the equipment. We're still working on some of those things, the lighting, the electrician needs to come in and help us fix that. We're still working on a lot of things, and, and sometimes it can feel like we worked so hard to get here, and everybody contributed, everybody gave of their gifts, talents, and treasures to get here. So now what? Now what do we do? We have a home. We need to build a family. We have a home now, but that's not the end. This is just a tool. This is just a space. This is just an auditorium. Now the real work begins. Now we begin to become a family that's marked by humility, that considers other, others better than ourselves, that actually functionally lives that out. We want to become a family that's united in Christ. Paul talks about it earlier in Philippians, that we have a partnership in the gospel that we're partakers of grace. You see it in Galatians 3.27, where it says, For as many as of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. Listen, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are a family united in Christ. That's what we want to build. And for us... There's some specific ways that we feel like God has called us to build that family. It's our mission statement, right? You guys know this by now. Hopefully you do a little bit. We have it on signage. We, we talk about it in our service because we want you to know. Here's why we exist. Here's the family we want to become. We exist as Phoenix Bible Church to love Jesus. And we want you to know Jesus. And we want you to grow in your love for him. We want you to ask Jesus to grow that love in your own heart. We want you to love Jesus, and that as you love Jesus, that's not stagnant, right? That moves you to live like Jesus, and as you begin to live like Jesus, you care about the things that he cares about. You no longer just live for yourself. You care about the things he cares about, that you care about the people who don't know him. You care about this neighborhood, this community, this city, and all the people in this city who don't know Jesus, like out of 1.4 million people in the city of Phoenix, all the people that don't know Jesus, you begin to care about those people. The 4.3 million people in greater Phoenix, you begin to care about those people, and you want to lead them to Jesus. That's why we exist as a church. Love, live, lead. That's why we're here. That's the kind of family we want to be. And then we have core values that guide that, or core values we went through as we started the church in October, that we are a Jesus-centered people. That's where we all start, that we center on Jesus. And that a lot of the ways we do that is going to the Bible, because we learn about Jesus through the Bible. So we're Bible-based. And then we know we have to work on community. We said that last week, right? 
It doesn't just happen. So we're community-focused. And then lastly, we're mission-minded. That all of that, that everything we do, that everything we do in life, job, hobby, work, family, is so that other people can meet Jesus as well. This is the kind of family we want to be. And listen, a lot of churches have these. A lot of churches have mission statements. A lot of churches have core values. We have the three L's, love, live, lead. Sounds nice. We'll put that on signage. We'll put that on the website. But our prayer is that those wouldn't just be words that we put on signs or a site. That we would actually live that out and there would be results. There would be a family. And that family would have a culture. And so if you began to tell other people about Phoenix Bible Church, and they say, what makes Phoenix Bible Church so special? Like, why, why plant a new church? Why, why have another church? There's so many churches. And you would be able to say, my prayer is these three things. And we'll talk about these more as we move forward as a church. But I hope, and my, my prayer is that our mission and our values would lead to a culture that's defined by the first thing, family. Right? That we're not alone. That you are united in Christ despite your preferences and despite conflict. That we would actually be a family. That we would build a culture. And you would, as, like I said, as you were talking to your, even your spouse, and you're just like, why should we invest more in this church? Why should we give of our money, of our time, of our talent? Because these people are family. What's been beautiful as we started a church, despite the fact that you guys haven't been together for a very long time, is I hear that. That's already a part of our culture. I hear in your community that those people are like family. Like as you need to move or get meals in a difficult time, that these people come around you like a family. That's what we want to see happen. Is we want to be a family. We want a culture where we're a family. The second thing is we want to be a church where Everything matters. Like, everything matters. Like, this matters a lot. Like, what I'm doing, the preaching of God's word, it matters a lot. We believe if we preach Christ, that it doesn't matter how many people we have in attendance. It doesn't matter um, if we ever, ever become a megachurch. That's not even the goal. The goal is to preach Christ. This matters because we believe through the preaching of God's word, the spirit moves, that it speaks to hearts, that it transforms hearts, that people meet Jesus, become more like him, and lead others to them. This matters. But listen, listen, this isn't the only thing that matters. It's just not. The singing and the celebration to God, that matters. Our kids' ministry, where they make little disciples who love, live, and lead themselves, that matters. As people greet in the parking lot, and you welcome people and image Christ just by saying hello, and we're glad you're here. That matters. As we connect cables this morning from up there to down here, as you plug that in, that matters. Because it's a piece of the puzzle, right? That makes us a family, that brings other people into this family, that everything matters. And listen, my heart as your pastor is we want to celebrate that, we want to resource that, and we want to equip that. So our kids' ministry I meet with our interns and Jessica Lacey, our kids' ministry director, once a week. And, man, I'm constantly, at the beginning, at least the end of that meeting, like, Jessica, what do you need? God bless you. (laughs) Kids' ministry is a thankless job. She has a full-time job. She does this on the side. And she's an amazing kids' ministry director. We're glad to have her. 
Right? And I'm constantly asking her, like, what do you need? How can we make this easier for you? How can we celebrate you? How can we talk about it? That's why I'm talking about it now. I want you to know we don't just drop kids off to hang out in there and color while you come in here and learn about Jesus. Like, we want them to meet Jesus for the first time, to be in awe of him, to worship him, just like you. That's why I hang out with our production guys, and we talk about the lighting, and we talk about the chords, and we talk about all the different setup, because we want to remove as many obstacles as we can to worship Jesus, because everything they do matters. As you greet, everything matters. Everything points to Jesus. Everything furthers the mission of Jesus. We, we can't do this by ourselves. Everything matters. It all comes together for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? And that should get you excited to be a part of that. We don't just have a home. We're building a family where everything matters. And the third thing of our culture that we want to see happen is we want to see a love that moves. We want to see a love that leads to action. Listen, as long as we just talk about God's love, as long as we just sing and raise our hands about God's love, but it doesn't move us to action, we have failed as a church. We want the love of Christ to go through us in proclamation and in practice, in declaration and in demonstration. We want other people to see the love of Christ because of what he has done in us. This is the family that we want to build. Like This is the church we want to build. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to contribute to that and participate in that because we believe it's a blessing and not a burden. And listen, that's why humility is such a big deal. We go back to the why. We're building a family that we want to see this happen. That hasn't happened yet. We're making progress. Some of it's happening. I can share stories of some of that happening. You can see some of that happening in your own life. But we're not there yet. And it's going to take a long time to get there by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And part of the way that's accomplished is if we get this idea of humility. If we become a unified family in Christ because of lives marked by humility, that we actually believe this, that we actually live this out, that we consider others better than ourselves, that we look at their interests and not just as our own because we're this family, because we want to become this family. I've said this before, but family is important. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my two little kids. I love my extended family. But listen, if you know Jesus, you don't just share a last name. You share the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. Like, there's a bond with your brothers and sisters in Christ that is even greater than your family. And some of you may push back and think, this sounds a little extreme. <laughs> like, this is my first time here. I mean, it's just church, right? It's just church. I mean, if you feel that lonely, Pastor Tim, and you need an additional family, then that's your deal. Like, if that's what you need. If you're a high-need person, then that's fine. But I'm just, it's just church. It's not that I need an additional family. I, I love my, my family. My kids are a lot of fun. My wife is a, uh, a lot of fun. She's beautiful. I love hanging out with my family. But listen, as I think about my life, as I think about what matters, it goes beyond my immediate family. It goes to the family that we have united in Christ. Because there's eternal weight to that. Do you see that? That's what you're entering into. That's what you're entering into. 
You're not just attending a service. You're becoming part of a family that's marked by humility. And God doesn't just call us to this. He lives it. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So verse 5, it starts off with, have this mind, look at the text. What kind of mind is that? He tells us, verse 6 through 8, he didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. It's not like he was grasping for equality with God and he couldn't reach it, right? It's not that, literally in the original language. It means that he was not exploiting it for his own advantage. While Jesus had equality with God, he didn't exploit it for his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He took a form of a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is our model and our motivation for humility. God becomes a man, but not just any man. Like he becomes a servant of a man. And before he does that, he becomes a baby. And he's not born in a palace. He's born in a manger. And he goes on to live a life of love, of service. And he goes on to die a gruesome death on a cross. We have a model and a motivation in God himself for humility. You don't have to muster this up. You can look to Jesus and see how he did this himself. And listen, we need that. Because I think a lot of us, even as we hear this message today, we may think of small ways that we can be humble. And typically in life, we'll do that as long as it's convenient for us. Like, we'll love other people, we'll serve other people, as long as it's convenient. Like, you need to spend more time with other people investing in relationships. Well, as long as I have time, as long as I have some extra time. We'll make sacrifices for that. We'll just think as long as it's convenient. You need to talk to people and ask hard questions in your community of faith. And you think, well, as long as it just comes up in conversation. We need this model of humility in Jesus because he humbles himself even to the point of death on a cross. Like he's willing to go as low as you can go. Like this isn't low enough. He goes lower than we could possibly imagine. He dies a death, not just in a normal way. He dies it in one of the most humiliating, humiliating ways possible, on a cross where everybody can see we need that model because Jesus doesn't just humble himself when it's convenient. He humbles himself no matter what the cost is. Do you see that? We need to have that model. We need to have that motivation as we look to humility. And listen, this is possible. This is possible because we are in Christ. We have his mind, verse 5. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are in Christ. It's like you have an adult onesie on. Trust me, it is. As you put on that onesie and you're fully in, right? It's covering your feet. It's covering your arms. You're fully in. You zip that thing up. Some of you do. It's okay. You can admit that. You zip that thing up and you are fully in. You are, if you believe in Jesus, you are fully in Christ, completely in Christ. This is who you are. But a lot of us don't feel like 
That's who we are. A lot of us, as we're listening today, we're thinking, I can't be like this. That's not who I am. This is not how I live. And so we need to practice. We need to practice our identity in Christ. We need to practice it. We need to develop a practice where we, when we do something, when we interact, especially in conflict, that we ask the question, as I have this conversation, as I commit this action, what am I believing about God, about who he is, about what he's done, about who I am in Christ? As I talk to this person, as I respond in this conflict, we need to develop a practice. We ask that question. When I say this to my wife, when I talk to somebody in here, when I respond in conflict, what does that say about what I'm believing, about who God is, what he's done, and who he is in my life, about my identity in Christ? We need to develop that practice as we live our lives, we assess, we evaluate. And listen, I know a lot of us, we don't like to assess and evaluate. It's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to ask that question. We just roll through life. Like the weeks are busy, our job is busy, family's busy, and we just roll through life. We don't ask those questions because it can be uncomfortable. My wife and I felt this recently. We, had, uh, we started a, a counseling session. That's right, your pastor is going through counseling. Uh, we're partnering with a, a church organization that asked us to, to go through a few mar- marriage counseling sessions, and we said, fine, we'll do that. That'd be great. Um, just to see, like, is there anything we can help you walk with? And we said, yeah, we'll, we'll go. And so we went to the first one on Thursday. And I don't know if you've ever been through counseling, but they are a little bit interesting, right? Like, he, he's getting our backgrounds. So like, where'd you grow up? Like, East Texas. Um, your parents divorced, single, uh, still together. What's, what's the haps on that? And we're like, yeah, still together. <laughs> this, is, this is how that works. And what was it like in East Texas growing up with your parents? And talk about that a little bit. And then just bam, all of a sudden, why do you get frustrated with your wife? I don't know. I, uh, East Texas? I, I don't know how we just jumped from that to this. Um, but like, well, since you started the church, like, tell me about that a little bit. I'm like, talking about that, and he's like, bam, how do you get angry? How do you respond when you're angry? I, uh, I don't get angry. <laughs> I don't, do you want me to lay down I don't, on the couch? I don't, it's uncomfortable, right, to evaluate our lives. But as we began to do that, as my wife and I drove home and went to On the Borders because we needed some chips and salsa <laughs> to recover from that, um, you should do counseling. Trust me, it, it was helpful. We began to think about it and, and think about why do we get frustrated with one another? Why do we respond in anger? Why, why do we have conflict? Let's evaluate that. Like when that happens, it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, why? And we began to think about our identity in Christ. And I began to, to talk through with my wife of just like, well, here's what Jesus has done for us. And so when we do get in an argument or have conflict with other people, how do we respond in light of the gospel? Like, how do we respond in light of the fact that we have been forgiven, accepted, and adopted by Christ? What does that change about the way we deal with conflict with each other and with everybody else? And it was healthy for us to evaluate. Listen, you may not need to go to counseling. Some of you may, and that's fine. But we all need to practice evaluating our interactions with other people, evaluating our pride 
in our humility in light of the gospel, especially in conflict. Listen, what if we actually did that? What if we actually functionally lived that out? Where we said, instead of defending and deflecting in conflict, we're going to forgive and repent. Like most of us, we defend, we deflect. We say, well, you don't understand. Like, I was having a bad day. Well, you don't understand. She did this to me first. We defend, we deflect. What if instead of that, because of the gospel, we didn't defend and deflect, we repented and we forgave? What if we lived that out? What if that marked us as a church? Humility that's empowered by the gospel. What if we did that? What if we continue to extend grace to people despite the fact that they don't respond how you want them to respond? Because why? Because Jesus gave his life for you on the cross despite the fact that he knew at some points you would reject him. That he knew at some points you would at the very least be indifferent to him. And so we extend that grace just as he extended that grace to us, to people who don't respond how we want to our spouse when she doesn't respond how we want, to our husband when he doesn't respond how you want, to people in this room when they don't respond how you want, you keep extending grace. You keep pursuing them. Why? Because you're a great person? No, because you serve a great God. That he, at the cross, gave his life for you. He extended grace to you, knowing that at times you would be indifferent, knowing that at times you would reject him. That's why we consider others better than ourselves. That's our motivation for humility. As we begin to ask these questions, as we live our lives, how are we responding in light of the gospel? How are we responding in light of the fact that we are in Christ? That there should be a a marked humility about our interactions with one another. That even in our conflict, that we respond differently because of how Jesus has responded to us. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our motivation for humility, to build this kind of family that is united in Christ. That's our hope. That's our prayer. And for some of us, that seems daunting. And so I just want to walk you through three quick steps, um, three quick steps in that direction that we can all take today, even as you think about what it means to be humble. Um, The first one is look. First one's look. We need to look for ways to be grateful. We need to look for ways to be grateful. In the morning, when you wake up, do you start off in the morning thinking of all the things you don't have, or do you start off thinking about the things that you can be grateful for? We need to look for those ways. In the morning, we need to journal that. We need to think about that. We need to think of how big God is, how little we are, how thankful we are for everything he's given us in our lives. We need to look for ways to be grateful. The second way is we need to listen to other people. This is an art. We need to listen to other people. Sometimes we don't need to talk. When we come in here, when we go to our community group, when we go to our job, sometimes we just need to start and ask questions. Consider others better than ourselves. Look at their interests. We need to look. We need to listen. And then we need to learn. Three L's. It's a theme at our church. Look, listen, learn. Who are you learning from? Listen, the Bible, life, we never get to a point where we master that. We need to always be learning. What you see in key leaders is that they're always learning. They never stop learning. We need to look, listen, and learn. How could you begin to take those steps today? That's what humility can look like in your life. And then look at the goal of humility, verse 9. The goal of humility, therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus humbled himself. He got lower than we could imagine. And what does God do? The Father. He raises him up. He exalts him. That's the goal of humility, is to make Jesus look great, to make much of him, because that's what the Father does. And that's what we want to do, is to make Jesus look great. And we do that with unity that's marked by humility. And some of you are thinking, well, what if people take advantage of me? Like, well, if I live like this, won't people just run all over me? Listen, you need to see this pattern in Scripture. What the Father does with Jesus, as he makes himself low and raises him up, we see that throughout Scripture. You see it with a guy named Moses. Moses, who says, I can't speak well. And God says, I know. I'm going to take you, and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to rescue them, and you're going to lead them to the promised land. Moses is like, are you sure? And God's like, yeah, this is what I do. I take the weak and I make them strong. I take the lowly and I exalt them. You see it with David, the shepherd, the lowest of the lows in society at that time. God makes him what? A king. You see it with David. You see it with Mary, a teenage girl from a small town. She gives birth to the son of God. God has a habit of taking the low and exalting. Listen, if you're worried about people taking advantage of you, about getting run over if you're humble, you need to know that Jesus, that, that God the Father, will carry your cause better than you ever could. Like, as you begin to trust Jesus and live this out in your life, he will fill up your heart to liberate you, to care for the hearts of others. Because that's what he does. That's what he's done from the beginning. He takes lowly people. He exalts them. You don't have to worry about your case, about defending yourself. Jesus will do that for you, better than you could. Some of us will ask, is this practical? The Harvard Business Review did an article and did a study. They interviewed some of the top execs in our country. One of the most predominant traits that they found was what? Humility. Some of us will say, well, is this, I don't think this is practical. I mean, it's not the way real life works. We see that in business. You see Martin Luther King, one of the greatest leaders in our history, says everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You see that in the great Russell Wilson. I know it didn't end well for him last week, but he's one of the greatest quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And that's painful for me to say as a Cowboys fan. But he is, and, and after the Super Bowl, his news feed, it, it went viral. His news feed is blowing up. After one of the most difficult losses in NFL history, one of the worst play calls in NFL history, after that, the next day, he's at Seattle Children's Hospital taking pictures with sick kids. Listen, I don't like the Seahawks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know a lot of you do. But I like Russell Wilson, not because he's a great quarterback, but because he's humble. It's not only practical, it's compelling when people live like this. Like, think about the people that are influential in your life. It's not just practical, it's compelling, because this is not the norm. What if we began to live lives like this? You think people would take notice? You think it would be compelling? 
in this community, in this city, as we try to make an impact for Christ, as we try to build this family and become a family united in Christ? You think that would transform lives? You think Jesus would use you not only just to, to do things to you, to love you, to forgive you, to accept you, but to do things through you by making an impact for the fame, for the glory of Christ because you live lives like this. It's a compelling way to live. It's a compelling church to plant. That's our hope. That's our prayer. C.S. Lewis says this, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. Of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. How do we have joy beyond conflict? We give up our pride for the sake of unity. How do we have unity? We live lives marked by humility. How do we have humility? We take our eyes off ourselves and we fix them on Jesus. Let's do that now as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the model and the motivation that we have for humility. I thank you for Jesus. And I pray, God, for these men and women in this room that, that you would shift everything on its side for us. That instead of defending and deflecting in conflict and in life, that we would repent and forgive. That instead of just thinking about ourselves, we would think about others. God, that you would empower us and equip us by your spirit to begin to live that out. And if that means an apology needs to happen, if that means a hard conversation needs to happen, that we would do that, not because we're supposed to or because we're polite, but because of your example on our behalf, because you have done that for us, that in light of the gospel, that we would live lives like this. I pray for these men and women. I pray for us as a church that we would build that kind of family, that we would make that kind of impact in this community, and in this city. Father, examine our hearts now uh, as we pray, as we sing, as we respond. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.